This is season number 19 of Bass Talk Live with Matt Pangrak. BTL is presented by Bass Cat Boats, Aftco, Strike King Lures, Sunline, Big Bite Baits, Spro, X-Zone Lures, Gamakatsu, The Bass Tank, Denali Rods, Pro Guide Batteries, Beatdown Outdoors, Shoreline Boat and RV Repair, and Omnia Fishing. Hit him with the hook, Jeffries. PTL, coming at ya! Good morning, and welcome to another exciting edition of BTL Bass Talk Live, where we're going to talk about bass fishing. We have day two of the BPT on the Kissimmee chain going on. We have what I believe is the final day of practice for the Bassmaster Elite Series on Okeechobee, 104 anglers. You got Bradley Hallman, John Sokup, just a couple of the... Uh, well, Brad's not a rookie. He was on tour for five years and he won two FLW events, but his return to the Bassmaster Elite Series, I actually was able to talk to uh, to Bradley. I, it's a weird deal. So I usually talk to him all the time. Obviously, in the Opens, we've been roomed together for the past uh, two years, two plus years. So we talk fishing all the time and call him. But, uh, you know, I, I talked to him last week before he headed down to, uh, to the season opener. Uh, on Okeechobee, a place where he just freak showed at days uh, one and two in the Tulis uh, and won an FLW tour event there a number of years ago and then was able to hold on for the last two days. But uh, I called him last night. He had just gotten off the water uh, and he's he he's happy to be back on the Elite Series. I'll say that it was it was really cool. Uh, Brad's not very good at like hiding his emotions through his voice. Uh, and I'm not saying like that he's on like mega sacks and is going to, but I'm just saying the excitement of being back on the elite series, practicing for the elite series. He said, I'm sure it'll become much more real once everything kicks off, but, uh, but really enjoying, uh, the process, uh, the second time around. So looking forward to that. Uh, I will be filming the open pros pick them tonight with Andrew Upshaw and Todd Castledine that will go out for fantasy fishing. Uh, and there's like a surprise guest that's going to be on that. So check Andrew's channel for that. I'm, I don't think I'm allowed to say who the surprise guest is. I just kind of figured out this morning who it is. Also, uh, you still have time to join the BTL Bass Talk Live Fantasy Fishing Group on Bassmaster.com under the Fantasy Fishing. The season end winner will get a Denali 7'4 Lithium Multi-Spin, the same spinning rod that I do the dink and dunk with, and then also get a guest spot on BTL. So jump in that group, uh, join that, and if you win the season end, you can jump on BTL. Someone who'll be jumping on BTL today and he's been on BTL before. I think the last time would have been uh Jeffrey's retirement show maybe, or maybe a little bit before that he's been around in the industry forever. We have a, a oddly parallel existence in this sport uh, over the past couple decades, a guy that I've bounced a lot of ideas uh, off and who I value as friendship industry. Let me see. I asked him, I said, how do you want me to introduce you? Because he does a lot of things. He is a PR and marketing veteran. It's Alan McGuckin. What's I'll up, Duck? So yeah, that's not bad. To get started, let me share with people. You referenced our parallel lives. This is nuts. Yeah. I'm a little older than you, but we both grew up in the Midwest. You in Illinois, me on the Ohio-Pennsylvania border. We both yep. moved our lives to Norman, Oklahoma to attend the University of Oklahoma. Yep. Chase this bass fishing dream. 
we both have an extensive writing background in the fishing business. Yep. And maybe most of all, people should know, we teamed up in the summer of 2014 on Grand Lake in a tournament. I think we took home $243 that day. We did. That was the day that both hydraulic lines blew in my boat and we had to run in with the grasshopper legs flopping and then there was the tornado sirens went off yes. at way in and i had to jump in the water with a bungee cord bungee cord the it like it wasn't a power pole deal it was a boat deal i i made the mistake of buying a boat that had been ran by kelly jordan for a year and then jared miller for two years Ooh, okay that one's on me guck yeah but <laughs> that 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 we, i do fondly remember that yeah, we saw each other a couple of weeks later after we fished together, and you're like, "We." It was at when Ike and Ellie won on the Delaware River, the Elite Series, a couple of weeks later, and you brought me the check in Philadelphia and said, "Here's your half of the winnings." Dude, what I remember about that was I thought I was really dialed in on Grand, and uh, and there's a section of Grand that is, it's nondescript. Like everyone knows that that there's a large population of fish in this section of Grand, but it's very hard to figure out. Topo maps, not ideal. Uh, uh, lake map, like it's just not, it's weird. You know what I'm talking about, right? Yeah. But there are some, there are some nuggets in there and, and you let me do my thing and not catch them. And I think maybe I, we had one or two and, uh, and you said, Hey, let's go check out uh, I, I, it was a vein Don't it was say a, too much panger i'm not i'm just saying it was a vein and we rolled up and dude i'm telling you what there was a school of three pounders that had never seen a bait and the more you caught the more pissed off the ones that didn't get the bait got and we doubled up with the poles down for what three hours never forget it dude yeah it was magical yep now I did not put a way. This this is the truth. I did not put a waypoint on that spot because it was your spot, right? But I also know that I fished some major tournaments there since then, where three pounders on every cast would be handy. Have never been able to find that spot again, Guck. Really? Yep. Never found it. They still live there. I know. I know. If I see it, what it would feel like, what it would look like. I think that I've gotten within a couple hundred yards of it. Uh -huh. But you know, that part of the lake changes on, on water, water level, big time looks completely yeah. different. And it's a very right. nondescript spot, not related to the bank have spent some time trying to relocate it, unable right. to do so up until this point. Guck. Well, it's a, it's a forever great memory, buddy. I mean that it is. Uh, you talked about the parallels. Uh, uh, we also both had kind of a mentor that we met at the, while we were at the university of Oklahoma that introduced us to the industry. Are we talking about Gilliland? Yeah. Yep. Gene Gilliland, treasured friend to this day. One of my absolute best friends, biologist, conservation biologist for BASS, Gene Gilliland. Gotcha. And it just like I met the one and only Mark Jeffries. Now I feel like Gilliland probably had a, gave you a softer entrance to the industry than Jeffries did with me. There's probably a lot less uh, yelling and demands. Well, you were, your, your background at OU, you were, you were a market Communi communications. Right. You and were fisheries biology, right? Yeah. I had, I actually, when I got to the University of Oklahoma, it was to get my master's in fisheries. I've got my undergrad in Pennsylvania. So that's the Gene Gilliland connection. I actually worked, he mentored me as a, as a, biology student if you will so that's that's the connection to gene that still exists to this day 30 years later 
probably one of my top five best friends in the world. And G. Gillen, uh, conservation director for BASS. Correct. Currently, he retired after 30 years with the Department and, of Wildlife and did yeah. tremendous research on largemouth bass. I could go on for a half hour about all the cool stuff that he did relevant to the sport we love, um, from post-tournament mortality to, you know, where do Florida bass thrive? Where don't they thrive? Um, where, how far do tournament release bass swim away from the way? And he did all kinds of stuff relevant to the sport we love. Um, but then he retired after 30 years from the state and went to work for BASS. And I gave him a hard time. I, was, I said, you didn't retire. You're working as hard now as you ever have, Gene. He um, loves it. He's one of us. He's, it's all he knows. It's what he loves. I want to say 2021 or 2022 Bass Fishing Hall of Fame inductee. I, like he's, I he's legit. Get, like he is the guy. Time. So the cool thing about that is uh, I fished the Wednesday nighter on Thunderbird. I didn't, I moved up to Tulsa for a couple of years, but before that fish, the Wednesday nighters getting back into them this year. And one of the studies that he did back with Oklahoma was the distribution of uh largemouth. He still refuses to acknowledge that there's a good population of spotted bass and Thunderbird. But anyway, the distribution of largemouth in Lake Thunderbird following the Wednesday nighters. And before yeah. I was there, I guess, do you, did you take part in any of this stuff? I yeah. I, I, it wasn't my study, but, but I helped Gene. If Gene said he needed a hand, I helped. So yeah, I, I helped with that study. I remember it very well. So it's what 25, 30 boats usually in that deal. Uh, your typical Wednesday nighter, except there's usually like some elite series guys, current yeah. elite series guys, FLW tour guys, maybe a, all American champ. It's a crazy Wednesday nighter yeah. sometimes. Yeah. Uh, depends, you know, who shows up. But they would tag or explain how that worked because I thought it was very interesting. And all the guys still talk about that study. Yeah, it's a fa- it was pretty fascinating. So guys would bring their their tournament caught bass in there on Wednesday evening, and Gene would tag. He'd put a, a tag in their side of the fish there, and it, after they weighed them in, and and we would release them there at the at the weigh-in ramp. Hog Creek. Pardon? Hog Creek. Hog Creek. H-O-G. Hog Creek. Um, we would release them there every Wednesday night, tag fish. And then this study went on. Here's the key point. I think the study went on for about a year. Mm-hmm. And when somebody in the future then would catch one of those tagged fish in the Wednesday night, or Gene was there every Wednesday night, he had this giant map of the lake and he had quadrants, you know, X'd off on it. And he would get off to the side with the guy who'd caught that one of those tagged bass. And he'd say, point to the square on the map where you caught this fish. So that's how he knew how far those fish had gone from that particular ramp where they were released every Wednesday night, every Wednesday night released. Okay. So what did we learn? What we learned basically was, that right at 50%, it could have been 49% or 52%, but it was right at 50% after a year long study, those fish had a year to swim wherever they wanted in, in Lake Thunderbird, basically 50% of those fish never went more than one mile from that boat ramp. One mile, 50% of all those largemouth never went more than one mile from the ramp. That's insane. And I'll give you another fun story. You got a minute? This is quick. Dude, we got, uh, we got, uh, it's up to you how long we have. I know you're on the road. You're actually took a break at the hotel. So you're until the maid kicks you out. Okay. So Gene has all these bass out there swimming around with these tags on them. Well, at the same time, I'm doing my master's research 
and I'm studying brush pile differences, uh, differences in brush piles, what they hold, what cedar piles hold, what hardwood piles hold. We even had some synthetic PVC things we built and we would electrofish all those various habitats to see who was living where, where did the big keeper bass live? Where did the majority of the fish live? What did they prefer? What did they not prefer? One of Gene's bass that he tagged in that study we just described, it took up a home in one of my brush piles from my study. And Panger, we, we shocked up that same fish with the same tag in him. We, we knew him by number on the tag. We'd shock that fish up once a month for nine months, dude. He never <laughs> left that brush pile. Never left that brush. We, I literally saw him grow over a nine month. We would, we would net him after we shocked him and, and measure him. And I literally watched that bass grow over a nine month period of my study. He just lived there. And that one, that fish or that brush pile, as we just said, lo and behold, was about 200 yards around, I guess that'd be to the south of that ramp. So he was towards the, towards the cove or towards the main lake around the, around that big sand point. Our uh, main lake headed toward the dam on the same shoreline as the boat ramp. Okay. So around that big kind of sand point that when you hook it coming out of hog would have to yeah, be. You gotta, you gotta realize, dude, I haven't been on Thunderbird in 20 years, but yes, I mean, I think there's a, isn't there a swim beach right down in there somewhere? You're no? absolutely correct. Yeah. So hey, right, there's, right in that. there's like Thunderbird. You? There's like Thunderbird right there. Uh, dude, yeah. we're going with this because this is I find this fascinating and okay. I've always wanted well, to see. know. So, so this yep. is this is the boat ramp that we're talking about on Hog Creek. It's about a what a 4,500 acre fishery, and there's two main arms. There's just that big arm and that big arm. Mm -hmm. But the fish come from all over the lake. I mean, you got what I found was interesting well, show people, was show people where Hog Creek ramp is there. This is Hog Creek ramp right here. Correct. Right yep. where they they weigh in. So I mean, to get from Hog Creek Ramp where my cursor is like over into like Clear Bay, Clear Creek. Yeah. Six minute run, seven minute run. It's not a it's not Grand Lake size, but it's a good size lake. Like you could you could fit fifty yeah. boats on it. Yeah. Um. But so fifty percent of the fish that were caught from all over the lake stayed right in there. Yeah, and 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 that fish that that stayed in that particular brush pile. Probably, if it's I'm guessing, slide, slide, slide south down that shoreline for me, about 200 yards. Somewhere right in there? Yeah, right in there, maybe a little further south is where he lived for at least nine months. Right in there, yep. Okay. There's currently a very good brush pile there right now, Mr. McGuckin. Okay, nice. So, uh, the other thing that I found interesting, though, was, and, and this is all just hearsay from this study, was weren't there some fish that swam miles back? to where they were originally caught and were caught like a couple weeks later back where they originally were caught, even though they were weighed in at hog Creek. Yeah. So in most of these, these tracking studies, if you will, that I've witnessed, been a part of whatever, when you talk about largemouth bass, the vast majority of them are lazy homebodies. They don't go far. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, the theory of already been caught fish in tournaments, it's legit. I mean, they, they're, they don't go far, but there's always seems to be those uh, a handful of renegades or outlaws that will swim four miles away. Um, I did a study when I was an undergrad. I put uh, transmitters in the abdominal cavity of five largemouth bass and tracked them for just six weeks. And of those five largemouth, just like I've described, 
three of them went right outside the cove where we released them, hold up in a laydown. This is Lake Raystown, Pennsylvania, for you Pennsylvania guys that are tuned in. Um, they went right outside the cove, found a laydown tree on the shoreline, and never left. The one of the five was a four-pounder, blind in one eye, swam three or four miles up the lake on Lake Raystown. So you, you have the majority of them that are lazy mm -hmm. homebodies that never go far from where you turned them loose. And then, yes, you're correct, Panger. There's always there's always a handful of, of renegades that swim four or five miles away. Because I remember one story, some one of the guys on the Wednesday Nighters, because it's one of those deals where you weigh in and everybody gives each other a hard time and then you crack a cold one and stand around on the front yep. deck and talk about the five-pounder you broke off in the pile. Yep. And they were talking about in that study, one of the guys caught one way up the river mm -hmm. and they waded in in Hog Creek. And like two weeks later caught the same dang fish way up the river on the same bed. It's fascinating, man. It's and it's, I mean, to get there, you have to go down one. I mean, you have to go down one arm, completely up the other arm, under a bridge, over a wood laden flat, into the creek channel, and then swim three miles up the river to get back where you were. It makes you admire Mother Nature, doesn't it? Pretty mm -hmm. awesome. Uh, you did mention something before about how you were doing a study about different types of piles, Guck. Mm -hmm. And that that piqued my interest. Do you remember the details on that, on which piles the, the bass preferred? This is maybe a, a selfish question for me. Since no. So when I when I was in fisheries or studying fisheries, I all you know, I've been a passionate angler my whole yeah. life. So I I always wanted to do research that was relevant to what we love and what people are, that are watching love. So my master's thesis, yeah, I remember it was my it was my research um, in 1993, 94. We were evaluating the differences in habitat. And the reason why we were doing that and why it was relevant, especially at the time, was that the state of Oklahoma had hired two or three guys to do nothing but habitat restoration. They had a pontoon boat. I think it, I think it was two guys. And all they did was go around the different lakes in the state that were aging and established brush piles. So my research was pertinent to helping these guys, the state decide well, what, what kind of brush piles should we be building so that we're not wasting our time. So we had four types, basically we had cedar trees, discarded leftover Christmas trees, mostly Christmas trees. We had hardwood piles, oaks and what have you, a few sycamores. We had, lay down trees where we got permission and chainsawed trees on the shoreline and cable them so that they would stay there. And we had, um, PVC pup tents basically that had this geo web stuff. And they're basically plastic pup tents that we sunk in the water and the long and short of it, guys, listeners is that the cedar piles, the Christmas trees, they held the most fish. So tons of fingerling fish got in there. Um, a lot of bluegills, sunfish, small bass. Um, but the keeper bass, this is what everybody wants to know, they hands down preferred the hardwood piles. And you might ask why. Well, to throw a, a scientific term out there, it came down to what we call interstitial spacing. All that means is the amount of spacing between the branches. So think about it. If you're a four pound largemouth, you have a real hard time backing yourself into a Christmas tree and waiting on something to come by, right? Because the branches are tight. Mm -hmm. If you're a fingerling, now that's great because you got a lot of places to hide in there if you're two, three inches long. 
But if you're a four pound largemouth, you prefer space between the branches where you can back in and lay and wait and watch for things to swim by. So if you are sinking brush piles as a tournament bass angler, based on the research we did in the mid nineties, you definitely want to stick to hardwood trees. Okay. So hardwoods would be. Uh, oaks. Uh, okay. Trees that have established large branches. We sycamores are a great one. Um, um, anything that provides, you know, a, a substantial amount of space between the branches for a three pounder, mm -hmm. four pounder, five pounder to back into. Okay. Now let me ask you this. Would multiple bass use the same hardwood pile, big ones, or I sometimes, it feels to me, especially like on Thunderbird, like you got one big old grumpy one in there that says, get the hell out of my pile, this is my pile, and if it's going to bite, it's going to be the first three or four casts, yep. and it's typically one fish for pile, but then you go to some other fisheries, and it seems like you can catch 10 or 11 out of the same pile. Yep, so what... You know, and this is just one study. We, we actually did it at Lake Thunderbird near Norman, Oklahoma, and then Lake Arbuckle, an hour and a half south there. Very different fisheries, deep, deep, mm -hmm. clear at Arbuckle, shallow, off-colored water at Thunderbird. But anyhow, just one study. Yeah, what we learned or what we witnessed was that you would have one hardwood pile that you'd have three three-pounders in nearly every time we electrofished it. You might have another hardwood pile that rarely held a keeper. So when I talk about hardwoods being best, that's that's overall in the mm -hmm. entire study at both lakes. But location matters a lot. There were there were some piles that held fish, like I say, three three pounders in the same. What was different pile. about those? I don't know, dude. I just location, I guess. I mean, it just it, it just location. I could show you where that one is if you want to pull or was. It's not there anymore. On Thunderbird. Yeah. All right, hold on. Let me pull this up, and then we'll see if we. Can. I can't believe I remember this. To be honest with you, uh, dude, I, it's weird. We remember things in fishing, and then other things. Okay, it's like go to, go to the dam, and uh, I, dude, I think it was. See, is that a launch ramp there by the dam? On, on uh, the yeah, right here. There's a launch ramp. Okay, so that pile that always held the three pounders was just to the left of there. In that right in here, a little left. Keep going. To that other bank, that other shoreline over there, across the cove. Nope. There you go. There, yep. 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 Okay. Well, that right there is one of the biggest, longest uh, pea gravel points on the entire lake. There's a lot of okay. bigger uh, chunk rock and drop-offs for the main channel, but this one comes way out and gets a really hard mud line right there. You can uh, see it yeah. when the when the wind hits it, but right off in this area is really really good pea gravel. Probably some of the like I said, there's a couple other points, but I would say this is one of the top five pea gravel points in the lake. And then also, you're looking at a, a secondary channel that comes in here and swings kind of like kind of like this, comes in like this and swings and kisses right there. So you're talking about good chunk rock adjacent to a secondary channel. Yeah, and for those of you who are, who are tuned in right now, Panger lived in Norman for many, many years. So this he was on this lake constantly. I haven't I haven't been on Thunderbird, oh my gosh, probably in over 20 years. Probably the last time I was on it was with Gene Gill and 20 some years ago. So it's funny, I remember where the brush piles were, but I I don't remember everything yeah. about the lake. Uh probably the most dialed in I've ever been was when I had the ZX190 and I spent 28 straight days on Thunderbird. During, I remember that. I remember that boat. During, uh, 
it was there was like a one stretch where we didn't have any tournaments, but it was where the transition from the spawn to the post spawn. And it's the only time in my life I've been able to follow the fish out. And it was the first time that I realized where it really clicked how important time on the water could be. Yep. Because, you know, you hear the top guys in the sport say things like, I'm going to fish where the fish are going to, or I yep. had to relocate my fish from practice. And I'm like, this is BS. No, I literally was like, oh my gosh, you can see them sliding out. You know, a week ago I was catching them here. Now they're moving out a little bit. Now they're moving out. Then they get in the piles. It, it was just really cool. I've never been that dialed in on a body of water, understanding what was going on as I was during that 28 day period. Pretty unique experience. Yeah. Uh, all right. We're going to take our first break of the show. We're talking with, uh, we're, we're talking with PR and marketing guy, Alan McGucket, but we started the show off with some really cool fisheries biologist stuff. Uh, oh, I got to ask before we move on, did they hold in the PVC stuff at all? Was, no. Or really? No. So, yeah. And here, here's the theory on that. So they were, when I call them plastic pup tents, they were about the size of the backyard pup tents. We all slept out in the backyard as a kid. And so my theory on that is we talked about the spacing. I think that, I think they were too spacious. I, I, I don't think, uh, I don't think they felt secure in there. They, they could get in them quite mm -hmm. easily, but there was nothing really hiding them. So no, the PVC pup tents did not work. Now I've done, I've seen studies, I've read studies where PVC structures of different types worked, but the ones we had, I think they were too spacious. And that makes sense why you catch so many crappie around Christmas trees, because yep. those crappie can slide in there. They're safe. They don't have to worry about being ambushed from the bottom because it's too hard for to, to get drilled when you've got so much stuff between you and the predator. I'm such a weirdo about this panger, and now you will be too. Uh, dude, I, I will literally find myself looking at trees, whether it's in my backyard or on the shoreline of a lake, and going, oh, man, that would be the perfect brush pile. I'm looking at the way the limbs are structured, mm -hmm. you know, how many two inch limbs, whatever, you know, are in the canopy of a tree that, you know, it's funny. Just, uh, James with an interesting question. Did you do anything about like water clarity? Like if it was clear, were they more in the piles or if it was dirty, they were more in the piles or it, it didn't seem to matter, James, to be honest with you, whether, you know, our buckle was quite a clear water reservoir mm -hmm. underbird is not, it's mostly muddy to off colored. Um, it didn't really seem to matter that the overall uh, result, if you will, was again, that, that, that the, the sycamores, the oaks, those types of trees held the, the majority of the keeper bass on both those reservoirs, irregardless of water clarity. Good question though. All right. Well, we just took part of the educational portion of the show. That was good stuff. Guck. Good, man. I love sharing it. That was good stuff. All right. We're going to take a break. When we come back, uh, I want to talk about the transition into the PR and marketing. Obviously, KVD announced his uh, retirement following the 2023 season. If you haven't had a chance, got uh, had to. Thankfully, Kevin jumped on the show yesterday, like 10 minutes after the after the announcement went out. Also had Zona on the show. Uh, probably what Kevin's, I would say, is that his best friend? One of. Kev's got yeah. a lot of best friends. That's kind he of does. guy he is. Um. And then Ken Duke was on for a 30-minute historical perspective about KVD's career. But uh, you have spent a lot of time with Kevin uh, through your work with uh, Dynamic Sponsorships. You're talking, how many years has he been a Team Toyota guy? I'm going to just top my head, say roughly 15. And you've written 
legitimately hundreds of articles with or about him probably over a hundred photo shoot. I mean, you have worked with Kevin more so than probably, well, I mean, sure there's guys at strike King and stuff, but I mean, dude, you also had him back in the quantum days. So you had yep. quantum and Toyota. Well, yes. For a time period, we were working together on for, I guess about nine or 10 years. We worked together on quantum and Toyota, but, but we actually met 28 years ago when I was a rookie in the, in the business, 1995, uh, right Ooh, after he was still the, wearing the uh, jean vest back then with the nitro hat that was pointy. Oh, yeah, he was. Yeah. <laughs> All yeah, right. We'll talk was. about that when we come back. It's BTL right. uh, on a Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, February 14th, 2023 uh, with Alan McGuckin. We'll be back right after this. The new Puma STS has been redesigned from the ground up with the angler design function and performance in mind. Nothing on this new offering was compromised and the only thing carried over from the previous version is the name. Based on the soft touch series hull that started with the flagship Jaguar, this new model is nimble and performs incredibly well at all speeds with either a 250 or 300 horsepower engine. Featuring a new 96 inch wide body footprint, this hull measures out at 20 foot 7 inches in length. Industry leading design coupled with tournament winning performance. The Puma STS from Basscat. Feel the rush. Hey guys, Gerald Swindle representing the AFCO Hydronaut. This is the jacket I love wearing when times is tough. And I'm talking about the weather, not the fishing. The jacket, what I like, I got a double cup right here. I can seal up the bottom of my jacket because when you're fishing, you're holding your arms up. You're bad about getting water, runs downhill. Everything bends good. I'm long arm. Look, it fits very comfortable. My arms are flexible. I've got the speed hood on, pouring down rain. I can get everything zipped up. One thing they did is they made plenty of pocket space. If you ain't got no pockets in a Hydronaut rain suit, you just got too much stuff from the water man brain that's 30k baby 30 times the reason you ain't gonna get wet super warm if it's cold in the winter time you put on your hydronaut you're gonna be a much more comfortable person if you want to just look sexy at dairy queen wear your hydronaut we got it from small to 5x most rain gear does not come in that many sizes you got waist adjusting straps we can make it fit you no matter what the environment is we want you to be comfortable we want you to be dry you gotta check it out it ain't gonna let you down elite series pro daryl gleason here my Pro Guide batteries keep me going on those long tournament days and long practice days. Always plenty of juice, never fail. The best part about Pro Guide batteries, it's the people behind the company. They have over 40 years experience in the battery business, keeping all of us fishermen out on the water longer, catching more fish. Check them out at ProGuideBatteries.com. What's up, Bass Talk Live fans? Brandon Polinick here. And ever since I won a couple Bassmaster Elite Series events on X-Zone Lures, I've been getting a bunch of questions of what makes them so special and different. And really, the truth is, it's in the details. The little details, things like no cheap fillers in their plastic, that gives you more lifelike action, more realistic and vibrant colors. But don't just take my word for it. Go to www.xzonelures.com and check them out for yourself. All right, welcome back. BTL on a Tuesday talking with Alan McGuckin, industry insider, marketing, media guy. And uh, I mean, are you a fisheries biologist? I never worked as a fisheries biologist. 
because we're good segue right. here. I finished my master's in fisheries, finished that research project and uh, got my master's degree. Never actually worked, never drew a paycheck as a biologist, but trained up as to get my master's in fisheries. So I won't, I certainly don't even attempt to put myself on the same level as a Gene Gilliland right. or all the great guys and girls out there that are practicing uh -huh. biologists. But yeah, that was big, big part of my life. And as you could tell in the first segment, I, I love talking about all that research and sharing it with, with anglers. Yeah, that was good stuff. Before we get into the next segment, I want to uh, let everybody know. So obviously the elite series kicks off on Okeechobee in two days. Uh, and I mentioned that in the first segment that Brad Hallman returning to the elite series for a limited time now on bigbitebaits.com. There is a BFE kit, best flipper ever. I remember when he came up with that name, I was like, I, I don't know, that might be a little too edgy. And now it's like, just a standard, uh, but the flipping bait, you can go back and look at all the videos and stuff for the last couple of years, but a $44.29 value now only $32.99. You can get it at bigbitebaits.com. It, it has two of the BFE decals, which I was really upset last year. Hallman got them and I didn't get any to put on the Bass Cat. So I've got my BFE decal that I'm going to put on a, this year. You get the decals, you get the tackle box, and then you get a $44.29 worth of uh, BFE's in black blue flake hematoma bedlam which we ran a color contest which that's an oklahoma deal near and dear to our hearts orange flake on one side crimson flake on the other uh south africa special tilapia magic black neon clear sparkle and my favorite color btl so go to bigbitebaits.com and check that out you're a big bite baits guy aren't you guck you're always posting big bite bait yeah. stuff i got a little jumpy there when you said black neon sparkle mm. is that is that your that's a biffle deal, isn't it? Yeah, uh, I I think it's an Oklahoma shallow water deal. I think I think Jason Christie would tell you that's. Oh yeah, shiny. Jason Christie too. So that's when the water's up and the shad are on the willows or the bushes. Correct. Yeah, shad spawn that kind of May time period where you go disco ball. Silver, Any, silver, anytime, silver shad. It can, be, it can be the fall too. Anytime you know the shad are shallow around visible cover, uh, I've seen it work tremendously well in November too. Mm -hmm. uh, especially if you got dirty water, it's a dirty. It's largely a dirty to stained water deal. So, what was your pivot from the biology side to the industry side of this thing? Well, I, I grew up as a teenager in near Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, right on the Ohio border, just obsessed with the sport. You know, you've heard a lot of guys say this, couldn't wait for the next Bassmaster magazine to arrive, would make sure I was home on, on Sunday nights to watch the Bassmaster TV, just obsessed with it. My parents took me to my first Bassmaster Classic in 1990. We went on family vacation when I was a college kid to the Bassmaster Classic. So that was my life, and I just grew up obsessed with it. I Ken Cook was my mentor. I won't bore you with all the details, mm -hmm. but long story short, I sent a handwritten letter to BASS's headquarters, got the address out of the magazines, wrote a letter to Ken Cook, and he wrote me a typewritten letter back on a typewriter, guys. Um, and he would always respond to my letter with an exact one page, perfect margins, typewriter generated response letter. He responded to me um, pretty magical. Uh, for a, for a 17 year old kid at the time uh, to get a to get a return letter from your hero, and uh, it started a tremendous friendship with Ken. I miss him dearly, uh, and uh, 
mentor, friend, guided my career. Anyhow, met guys like Ken. My life moved to Oklahoma to get my master's um, in fisheries, largely of the guidance under Ken saying, if you're going to work in fisheries like I once did, you're going to have to have a master's these days. Yeah, Ken Cook, fisheries biologist as well. Before he turned yep. legendary. Before he became, well, yeah. He actually worked as a biologist for 13 years, I think. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So anyhow, at his, at his urging is why I went to get a master's. Because he said, you know, when I was coming out of Oklahoma State, you didn't have to have a master's to be a biologist. But nowadays, mm -hmm. you have to have a master's. So you need to go get a master's. So ended up at OU. I uh, looked at Auburn and OU, actually, and, and chose OU. Were you under Dr. Hill? Yeah. So the reason I went to OU, Auburn had a tremendous fishery program, still does. Um, but I wanted to work under Dr. Lauren Hill. I had heard, I had seen him do seminars about the color selector. And as a 21-year-old kid, I thought, man, what could be better than to work under a dude that is doing fishery science and dabbling in the sport, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, designing a product that helps you choose lures, colors. So that is how I ended up at Norman, Oklahoma. It was to work under Lauren Hill. And then while I was in town there in Norman, Oklahoma, I met Gene Gilliland and all the guys at the Fisheries Research Center, Jeff Boxrucker, uh, Greg Summers, the list goes on and on of guys who were very helpful to me. But um, now I'm in Norman, I'm doing my master's research, and I'm starting to realize that there is an industry that surrounds the sport I love. Like there's guys and gals that are marketing these boats, these rods, these reels, these lures. Storm Lures at the time was located 10 miles south of campus. People that created so many legendary lures, the chug bug, the, the wiggle wart, thunder stick, the, lure, the list goes on and on and on. So I started to become aware that there's, there's an industry, uh, there's a business side to this sport I love. And I uh, was very fortunate, Panger, that I met some sales reps at the time that were involved in the industry. And I'm doing my research, I'm studying biology, but I'm also up to work the Oklahoma City Tackle Show and stand in a booth and try to help some all-star rods at the time. Pose lures at the time. How about oh, that? I forgot for about all-star rods. Yeah, and pose was huge. Yeah. So... Um, and then the guys at Bill Lewis Lures took me under their wing. I got to know them, the rattle trap people. And so I literally, dude, to answer the question most directly, I got to a crossroads very late in my master's research. And I'll never forget this, Gene Gilliland. We're coming back from a, a bass seminar. I don't even remember who ran those at the time. It was at Rose State College in Oklahoma City. I'm about to finish my master's. Gene has become a dear friend, helped guide my research. And I, I like sheepishly was like, uh, Gene, uh, it was late at night after this seminar. I'm like, but yeah, I've been thinking, I don't know if I'm going to pursue the biologist career. Uh, would you be disappointed if I chased like something in the business? I mean, dude, I, I, to this day, I look up to him, even though he's a dear friend, but at the time I'm 23 years old. And as far as I know, you know, Gene hung the moon. I was, I was like, man, how do you ask that? You know, and Gene being Gene was like, I wouldn't be disappointed at all. I think you'd be great no matter what you choose. Very encouraging. And uh, long story short, I'm telling stories here this morning, Panger, because it all connects. Yeah. I was fishing Redman's back then. Yeah. And I knew a guy named Dallas Hodges. How do I know that name? Was working at Zebco. 
And I walked up to Dallas at a Red Man tournament registration at Lake Eufaula. You don't forget the name Dallas, right? Yeah, right. And I'm like, you're you're Dallas Hodges. I saw you on the Jimmy Houston fishing show, fishing with Jimmy, and you worked for I think it worked, <laughs> was he at Zebco Quantum? Maybe it was Motor Guy. I don't remember. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah. Well, Dallas befriended me. Again, I'm still in school at this point, right. getting my master's. And we stayed in touch. And a job came. He he was at that time then went to Lawrence. That's right. He he went to Lawrence. And this is a year or so later. He's at Lawrence. I get a call from Dallas Hodges and he says, there's a entry level marketing and PR job open here. You need to get a resume to me. And I did. And uh, that was right about this exact same time of year, like 28 years ago. And that was wow. that was my entry into the business, buddy. It's interesting. You mentioned that uh, Dr. Lauren Hill was the one of the primary reasons why you ended up in in Norman, Oklahoma. Uh, and I just I I think it would be remiss if we didn't go back. That's obviously Kenyon Hill's dad. Uh, and I wanted to share this with some people because there's a lot of stuff that you guys know about today that is a direct result of Dr. Hill's research that a lot of people don't know about. Fair assessment, Guck? Yeah. So yeah. you mentioned the color selector. So there's uh, Dr. Hill. And, and he he passed away, I believe, shortly after Kenyon won on Clark's Hill. And Kenyon was able to take the trophy back yeah. and give it give it to his dad. It was a really, really cool story. Um, because, I mean, Kenyon grew up... I mean, he grew up with a probably the foremost scientist in black bass study that was relatable to weekend and tournament fishing it wasn't a you know what a fair assessment yeah yeah and i keep talking about gene but a lot of gene's research has yeah been, rela- been very relatable to this this group here as well yeah, yeah. it's a, it's all kind of the same but so you mentioned the color selector um that he was he was in but also uh he has said the snacks tricks. He'd watch snakes swim for hours and analyze their movements so he the could get snake the, tricks. the snake tricks. Yep. Do you remember that? I don't remember that. Yeah. Yeah. It was so, a snake lure. Yes. Yeah. So I'm trying to think how I sum all this up, but he was, he was forever. Um, t- he was a tinker at heart and he was, he was, he was a PhD. He was a PhD at the university of Oklahoma. He's, I think he was, chairman of the zoology department at one time, but he was a bass fisherman at heart. And of course, raised Kenyon. Kenyon was a longtime tournament pro, but yeah, Dr. Hill was always inventing for a lack mm-hmm. of a word. I mean, he was, all, I can remember walking into his office on campus and he was, he was a very good artist and he would, he would sketch this stuff and he'd have this stuff on his desk, you know, designing the next Snatrix. I, and he, <laughs> Off of the here's what we probably ought to talk about is when he invented the color selector. That was his that was his hallmark invention, if you yeah. will. He made a ton of money. It's where you it. drop something in the water. I mean, we've talked about it, if you don't know, you drop this probe oh, in the yeah. water, you have a dial, you drop it down, you look at the dial, and it tells you what color you of plastic worm or crankbait you need to be throwing. Yeah, and the way that it basically worked was it was it was an indication of light penetration at whatever depth you were dropping that probe to based on water clarity. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's, it wasn't magical. It was majoring, it was measuring essentially light penetration 
and, and paired with according to water clarity. And that's how it helps you decide on lure color. Mm -hmm. That was his iconic invention. And he, he sold a bazillion of those things and made a lot of money off of it. But then what that spawned off was all these different lure series. So he partnered with various lure companies. Pretty sure Bill Lewis Rattletrap had a series of baits painted to the exact colors on the color selector. So it was, a, uh, it was, it was a I see. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Uh, back to the article then. So there's another thing that everyone knows about that he, he had a lot to do with. Um, he, he pioneered the concept of pH as a, as a black bass fishing tool, which was something that hadn't been thought of before, you know, based on, Hey, you you can target where these fish are based on the pH in the water because there's certain, I, I guess, explain that one too. Cause that, that's a real forward thinking concept that it, basically the fish are going to swim where they like the pH. Right. So water obviously has your, your coffee has a pH level in it. It's a measure of acid levels versus basic levels and whatever liquid chemistry you're talking about. And people obviously figured out what pH range largemouth bass like to live in, just like they prefer certain oxygen levels. Oh, pH um, got me right there. <laughs> Sorry. You all right? Yeah. I just swallowed the pH. Go ahead. <laughs> You just sm swallowed a snatrix. Yeah. Anyway. Um, anyway. Anyway. He. Yeah. He figured out. You know. Here. There, here's. Here's the pH level that that bass want to live in, and you can. I'll help you measure that as well by dropping this probe in there. Yeah. pH changes so that people know it changes throughout the day based on on light and photosynthesis and the and the amount of vegetation you have present. So. It's, you know, what happens here in this cove may not be exactly the same pH as the cove across the lake, depending on vegetation present. Is it a cloudy day? Is it a bright, sunny day? So it's constantly changing. But he invented a, a you know, part of this. I, if I remember right, it was like the advanced color selector then then measured pH as well. Uh, OK, so you could get that as a bonus. So then yeah. this is this is the thing that he worked on. And I think this is Kenyon had a little bit to do with this, too, but that a lot of people don't realize is so before the hydro wave, the original acoustic sound, you know, when the hydro wave came out, it was like voodoo. Everyone was like, oh, whatever. But what they don't realize is the scientific research that went behind the hydro wave that started off as biosonics or BSX, where, uh, and I was just kind of in Oklahoma starting when this was coming out. And I remember these guys would have these big boxes. Chip Porsche had one of the original biosonics uh, yeah. in his boat for a while. And that was based off of Dr. Hill's research on acoustics and basses hearing and inner eardrums and lateral lines and actually taking aquariums and tanks with shad and crawfish and various bait fish and, and largemouth taking sounds of largemouth eating these bait fish and transferring that into a, into a speaker. Yeah. And seeing well, how the fish related to it, that is like that is the hydro wave. That is Dr. Lauren Hill that we talked about before is why the hydro wave exists right now. Right. So I started I started smiling when you started into that because, dude, this is a hilarious story. So when he was first starting onto that research, that's when I was working under him. And he found out my classmate, Jake, who's now a Ph.D. down in Florida could could scuba dive was a certified scuba scuba diver and so you know grad students are like um 
you know, they're, they're the low people on the totem pole. And, you know, I won't get into that, but he found out Jake could scuba dive. So Pioneer, this is a true story. He hauls Jake and I down, Lauren Hill did, down to, I think it was Purcell, Oklahoma, Purcell City Lake. Dude, cold, super muddy that day. And poor Jake puts on his scuba gear. <laughs> and Lauren's dropping this sound-making device underwater. And he's like, you go down there and tell me what you see. And Jake's like, I can't see nothing, Dr. Hill. I, I can't see anything. And it was just the ultimate failed research project. But yeah, dude, that was 30 years ago. Poor old Jake Schaefer was sent down underwater to try to tell Dr. Hill whether or not game fish and shad were gathering around this sound device. But that was the start of, as you described, you're right. It's crazy. It's crazy how much stuff is connected and how, yeah. it, I mean, dude, you're, you were like there right at the start of that. And now, yeah. I mean, you just, you, you think that this stuff just exists, but man, someone's got to invent it. And the fact that, you know, yeah, there's been black bass in the Americas since, was it the, you know, the explorers talked about, was it Lewis and Clark talked about catching black bass or whatever, but this sport or competitive activity, depending on what you want to call it, where you, it sits in your spectrum, uh, has, has only been around a very short amount of time and has grown so rapidly that a lot of these things that, you know, a high school kid gets in and takes for granted now has the people who developed it, who invented it, who had the concept, who who saw that to fruition, they're still around. Like, it's not like a 150 years ago. It's all, you know, 50, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. These people are still around, which is really cool to be able to hear those stories uh, and preserve some of that history moving forward. Yep. Yep. We've, we've lost a number of them, you know. Mm -hmm. And, and Dr. Hill passed away, I believe, in 2008. So, yeah. Yeah. That's hard to believe. Uh, I, I, I did want to get you on like one of the main catalysts for this. I should have had you on like freaking years ago. This is good stuff, Guck. We'll do it again. I, I know. Uh, are you good? You're not going to get kicked out of the hotel room? They want to come in and do room service, but I said, hey, I'm, doing, I'm on Bass Talk Live. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I, let's get into KVD. Okay. KVD retired. So we've got your background. So you've worked at, dude, we could do a whole thing on terminator and all sorts of that We're, we'll save that for another day okay because i want to get into kvd announced his retirement yesterday i said you've worked with him you got the shirt on there uh for such a long time what makes him different off the water not on the water you can look at the stats and see what makes him different on the water you know him off the water probably better than anyone else in the industry yeah, it's been an enormous honor to work so closely with him. I'll say that. And as time passes, we've become even closer friends. Um, you know, I have to be careful how I say this because I don't want to offend so many of the awesome pros that I work with. And, dude, I, I've been so richly blessed to work with so many <clears throat> and still do. Um, but the dude is kind of a superhuman panger. That's all I can say. And I, what, what am I talking about? He people have heard about this and you read about it and whatever, but because of who he is, he and what he's achieved, you know, he is, he is so engaged in so many things in our business, whether it's 
you know, this place with Bass Pro Shops, Nitro Boats. He's now on the on the board of the Bass Fishing Hall of Fame. Uh, but he's just he is he is obligated to so many people, so many causes, so many sponsors, um, his own charities. Um, and he's an incredible family man on top of that. And so he, he strikes an awesome balance with his family. And in addition to all those things, all those obligations, which he is so passionate about after all these years, you know, some of the older veterans can get, uh, they, 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 I've been here. Gripey, cranky. I've done this before. I'm, I'm not really interested, but Guck, if you say we have to do it, we'll, we'll grind through it. You never get that with Kevin. It's like, he's a third year pro, even though this is, he's 30 years into this deal. And he maintains that passion, that class, that enthusiasm, um, amid all that he's got going on. I mean, most of us would be a bucket of stressed out mess. Now, don't ever mistake the fact that he's got Sherry, his bride of many years, his high school sweetheart working behind the scenes. And now Nicholas, his son is involved. He's got people helping him and keeping him straight and checking the boxes and meeting all the obligations. But at the end of the day, it it comes down to his, his passion, his love of this, um, returns every text, returns every phone call. Kevin's a phone call guy. You send him a text and he's going to call you. Um, more so than text most of the time, but responds to every bit of communication. And then when you're with him and you're working with him, that passion and enthusiasm, it's just so admirable, dude. It's uh, I'll give you just a couple of recent examples. We were working the Toyota bonus bucks owners event last fall at, at table rock. And we were trying to do some video stuff, some video projects. And the wind was, I mean, it was gusting to 40. It was ridiculous. And when you got wind like that, it's it obviously messes with microphones and it makes life difficult when you're trying to do a video capture. And there was some frustration. And Kevin's Kevin's like, dude, I got, I got an idea. I know, I know a place where we can go, dude. You can hear him saying it. And, you know, and that's let's go down here. We can we can get it done down there. And that's that's Kevin. I mean, it most people, most guys would have been yeah, it, like this ain't going to work. OK, let's go eat lunch. Not Kevin. He's. Let's drive three miles down the road to this spot he had picked out in his head, already thinking ahead to where we can make this work and and get the job done. Um, Even more recently, uh, three weeks ago, I did a story with him about his 30 years of doing tackle and boat show seminars um, in front of a a live audience seminar. And, you know, it, it published and and I thanked him, you know, and. Hey, we did good with that one. Whatever, we'll do. We'll do something else in three or four weeks. And he texts back, "Let's do two. Not one. Let's not do one more story in a few weeks. Let's do two. That's Kevin. Wow. Uh, you know, you just don't. It, it's rare, man. Uh, it, it's. I'm not trying to blow smoke or patronize mm-hmm. or anything like that. But he is. He's a superhuman. He's proved that on the water. He's the goat. What he's achieved has astonished all of us that love to fish on the water. But Working with him away from the water, um, just as amazing. Just a class of his own, guys. For those of you that are young and aspiring to do this for a living or be anything remotely close to him, you won't find a better example than Kevin Van. Who do you think taught him that? Uh, he comes from a very a great family that's very successful. Uh, he's one of five siblings, and 
everyone I'm successful. His older brother, Randy, of course, has very successfully ran DNR Sports for years. He's got a, a brother that's an accountant down in Charlotte that is hugely successful. He's got a sister over in Cleveland. And she's successful. They're just his dad was a, a home builder, construction builder type guy. His mom was largely a, a stay-at-home mom, five kids. Mm -hmm. And uh just just good bloodlines, dude. Hard working people, but well grounded, humble, um, never arrogance, extremely confident, extremely mm -hmm. confident. You know, we, we all give Kevin a hard time. I mean, if you're going to grill a steak at night after the weigh-in, you know, Kevin's got the deal. I, I got this. I got the deal, guys. I got, you know. But it's, it's he's just the kind of guy you just love having as a friend. I mean, it's it's not cockiness, so to speak. It's just he's insane amounts of self-confidence. And uh, But, yeah, dude, I think it's a bloodline thing. I mean, you look at his, you look at his brothers and sisters and everybody in the family is successful. Yeah. And, and family is huge to them. Like they all gather around on Sundays and, you know, and they'll have four or five grills going and 30 people in the house and everybody brings a dish. And I mean, with all that he's got going on when he's home, dude, it's, it's all about family. If you're a first, second, third year elite series BPT pro getting into this, and like I said, you're you're in the industry. You're you're looking at guys making decisions uh, as whether to add them to a major team. You're you're doing life changing stuff for guys that are in the industry here. People rely on the these sponsorships, right, for their livelihood. If you're looking at at Kevin, you you talk about it. What are what are three things that you haven't talked about about Kevin that a young guy getting into this thing could look at Kevin and emulate from him that would make their lives a lot easier moving forward for the next 10 years of their career on, on, on the business side of on things? the business side of things. We can't talk about the, on the water. Cause that's just freak show. We're talking business side. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'll give you a real simple one right off. Return every text and phone call promptly. As okay. you can. Return every text and phone call as promptly as you can. Number two, don't ever lose sight of of your blessings if you will you know if you've got a sponsor that's taking a chance on you don't ever lose sight of the goodness of that you know i i see that quality pouring out in in brandon lester and matt airy that we added to the toyota team three or four years ago both of those guys have never lost sight of what that sponsorship means to them they're return every text and phone call guys they're you know so so two don't ever lose sight of the goodness of what you've been given Mm -hmm. and treat that with passion and enthusiasm. And then if I were to give you a third, if you want to think like Kevin Van Dam, put yourself in, as he is so good at doing, put yourself in in my shoes, as he's good at doing, or the videographer, videographer's shoes, or the photographer's mm -hmm. shoes. or Kevin, What I'm saying, guys, is Kevin kind of knows what you need, just like you know what you need, you know? Yep. So I know... That, your job as a pro angler or a semi-professional angler is to catch fish largely, but you, Kevin is exceptional in that he has paid attention and made it a point to know, well, what, what's Guck need? What, what's Guck need in this photograph? What's, what's Guck asking me for, for this short story we're doing? What's the videographer need? You know, what, what's he's, when he's on the set of a video shoot, I mean, he's just, you know, he's, he's on the next step just like you are. So Return every text and phone call. Don't ever lose sight of the goodness of what you've been given. And um, try to put yourself, be generous, and, and put yourself in the shoes of those those folks that are trying to work with you.
That's really good stuff, Guck. Iconelli is, is the same way uh, when it comes to that. Maybe not as far as returning every phone call or showing up on time. Uh, it, I think it's probably helped with with Becky taking over some of that in recent years. But as far as you have his undivided attention, he wants to do an article. He's going to know your name. He's going to assess what you need for that article or for that story. In his head, he's going to write that article for you. He's going to say, Matt, that's a great question. What he's doing there is he's given himself time to formulate how he wants to do it, how he's going to fit his sponsorship plugs in it. And he said, you know, let's say it's a, let's say it's a rip a seven inch worm. He's going to say, you know, that's a great question. And I caught him on the seven inch Berkeley bottom hopper. He said, there's three key things that led to my 20 pound bag today. Ready for this? Ready for this? You ready? Here, here we go. Guck. These are the three things. First, first is going to be jig head size. And then he's going to talk about the jig head and the hook in it Then he's going to say second. And then he's going to say, and finally, and he's going to tell you the third thing. And then he's going to look at you and say, so the three things he's going to repeat them. He's going to put a bow on it and you're going to look down at your recorder. Or if you're, you know, Steve Wright or Price or any of those guys or Louie and you're still scribbling notes, you're going to have the story written. And then in return, when you need a story with a day or two, you're going to go to the guy who basically writes it for you without having to go back and decipher a bowl of spaghetti. Yep. You nailed it. You said he, I can always a tremendous teacher of the sport. He he is. I'll tell you somebody else is that, you know, you get these guys focused and you get their undivided attention. Like Hackney's incredible at that too. He, mm-hmm. you give Hack a topic and when he's focused on what you're doing, dude, he is an incredible teacher. And so, um, yeah, man, that, that's, that's the third thing that I talked about. Be thinking, what does yep. this guy need from me? And now look, in all fairness, Van Dam, Mike Canelli, Swindle, they've done so much of this, right? And they've been doing it for 25 to 35 years. But they started not doing it. They didn't right. start out right. as Van Dam. They didn't start out as Swindle. They didn't start out as yeah. Iconelli. I mean, like you just mentioned about Ari and Lester, who knows 10 or 15 years from now, they kind of have their future in their own hands based on what they do both on and off the water. So you could be talking about them just like we talk about those three guys that seem to be unattainable on Mount Rushmore with this group right here, because they all had to be there at some point. Yeah, absolutely. Tournament fishermen. And I once was one, I'm not bashing anybody, but they they tend to get very focused on, you know, their own world and catching them Mm -hmm. and catching them and catching them. And it, the great ones, as we started talking about Kevin, the great ones are able to do both. They can strike that balance. You're good at this panger they can strike that balance, man, between, okay, now I've done my thing on the water. Now Guck needs to work with me or Panger needs mm-hmm. to talk to me. I need to shift gears and I need to, one, return the call or the text, two, be grateful that he, he or she is reaching out to me. And then third, what does he need? How can I help? But let me put him myself in their shoes. You work with you've Toyota's been a massive sponsor of, of BASS for what 15 years? Uh, yeah, massive. I think maybe even 16. At this and point. and the BPT Major League. I mean, it's it's been all over the map, but they're I would say they've got to be the biggest non endemic right now. And and I guess you could kind of say they're an endemic because you need tow vehicles, but they're a multi billion dollar international worldwide company, right? Correct. 
non-endemic it would be yes they're non-endemic we talked a little bit about this before the show but like let's say big big bite baits you know i talked about them earlier and let's say they sell 50 of those things based on my little read through plug in this show well that's pretty obvious big bite baits is going to notice that and they're going to say hey that that's freaking cool that makes it valuable to sponsor the show that makes it value you can we can see the return on our investment with that right that's an endemic in that but when you get to these major non-endemics and we always talk about it in the industry how do you add the non-endemics how to and and you know if once you know the story you realize that behind the scenes with the flw and the erwin jacobs and the team deals and all that those weren't just like independent non-endemics like a guy at pringles going hey let, you, you know it might be now but a lot of those were walmart and cap working was it johnson and johnson products but to get true like non-endemics in the sport, how do people in the sport show the value for a non-endemic for getting involved in that sport? Do you understand the question that I'm trying to get here to, to Guck? Because that's the crux of it. If you could get a major company that goes, hey, this bass fishing thing, this is making us money. This is selling us product. We need to stay with this. That's where the true growth happens in the sport, in my opinion. Yeah. So, well, are, are you asking how do you get their attention if you're trying to get a sponsorship or how no, do you, get, how do you get your attention as a BTL listener watching it as me in the industry, wanting to support the non-endemics that are already in the industry? How do we show yeah. appreciation? Yeah. Yeah. To make them stay. Yeah. So, so 40 years ago, you might've written a handwritten letter and sent it to their yeah. corporate offices. Exactly. Them, right? Yeah. So that's it, what I'm thinking. Not, I mean, yeah, well, it's not 40 years ago. So here in 2023, the answer to your question is very simple. Um, you know, Great brands, powerful brands, Toyota, for example, um, they are scientists when it comes to tracking social media. Surprise, surprise. So one easy answer to your question is tag them. You know, if you're a if you're a guy or a gal that has bought a Toyota vehicle and you're towing your boat to the ramp, whether you're a hardcore angler or just fishing for fun, you're using one of their vehicles to tow your boat to the ramp on Saturday or Sunday morning. Post a picture of that tow vehicle with your bass boat behind it and tag them. That all gets recognized and tracked. And you can do that with most of the brands in, in the world in this day and age. That's the, that's that's the short answer to your question. That, that's the modern day way of sending the corporate office a thank you letter, right? I like that. So if, you, if you've got a... A pro, uh, yeah, non-endemic product. It could be a spice that one of the guys says, "Hey, this is one of my sponsors." It could be shoes, socks. It could be anything. Okay, I'll give you guys an example. Maybe I shouldn't, maybe, but I will. I did a story. Okay. I don't remember last year sometime with Matt Airy. Matt mm -hmm. Airy has a love of chewing sunflower seeds when he's driving long, long drives to the next event or wherever he's headed. And so he's like become a sunflower seed nut, right? He's got those he loves, those he doesn't love so much. Well, we did a story at Lake Fork about him, his sunflower seed habit. And we tagged that particular brand in the story. We didn't know anybody there. And sure enough, within days, they were reaching out to Matt Airy and shipping him boxes of free seeds. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, no sponsorship became of it yet, but um, it's a foot in the door, but it's a foot in the door. And, that's, and they, re they recognize it based on one, one article with yeah. some proper. It doesn't have to be an, it doesn't have to be an article. Again, it can be your question. 
you're just a fishing person. You're just a fan. And, mm -hmm. you know, again, using the Toyota example, you back the boat down the ramp, beautiful sunrise, take a, take a pretty picture with your cell phone, post it and tag them. That, that all gets recognized and tracked and appreciated it, and appreciated. Okay. So case in point, then Matt Lee comes out and, and I can't remember the name of it off the top of my head, but it looks like he's got a really cool phone case sponsor for yep. the 2023 season. Yeah. I'm trying to figure out. I, 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 I should it. know as well. We, we need, we need to know that. Don't we? Yes, we do. Hold on. Let me pull up his, let me pull up his, uh, because this is, this is how it works, but I wanted to make sure that when I ordered one, they knew that I was ordering one because they sponsored Matt Lee. Yep. Because look at my phone case. It's, it's, uh, it's like, it's not a good phone case. It's, it's like turquoise and and we all know you could you could tear up a crowbar in a snowbank panger. You're you're kind of rough. Yeah, off I could. So he he posts it, and literally I'd never heard of this company. The only reason that I know about it, Quadlock. Quadlock, Maddie Lee. Quadlock, and the only reason I know about it is because his Falcon is wrapped in Quadlock. Yeah, but it's got a thing that you can. Lock your phone in. It's got yep. a great case. You can do videos with it. You can put it next to your boat there to where it stays. You can put it forward. You can shoot videos. You can take pictures. I need a quad lock. So I sent him a message. Hey, I need to get with you about what quad lock I need to buy. But it crossed my mind. How do I let quad lock know that the only reason I'm spending a hundred bucks or whatever on their phone case, and I'm not, I don't want one. I want to buy it, right? Yeah. Is because they're sponsored Matt Lee. Yep. So when you get that sucker, take a picture of it in use on the water. I don't care. Hold up a fish and hold it up in the other hand, whatever. Just show them how their product, whether it's that product or any other product, how key, key point here, how it fits into the, in our case, bass fishing lifestyle. And now all that's so easy to do with social media these days. All you got to do is take time to get a decent photo and, and tag them up. Here, look at this right here. There's Quadlock right there. Yep. There he is. Quadlock ambassador, Matt Lee, down on the bottom. There's the new rat. Look at these things. Like He's it such sits. a good-looking little fellow, too. He is. We hit some sort of weird algorithm when I had him on. He's got, like, the second most viewed YouTube BTL in history. He's up to, like, 20,000 views of his show a couple months ago. Really? Yeah. It. We hit some sort of weird algorithm, and I've looked at those analytics, and I have tried to duplicate that again mm -hmm. have not been able to uh but look at see it's like this deal here let's see if i can see the kit details see and it's got like little parts and then it locks into anywhere you want to yep and they're all about the they're all about the fishing and boating lifestyle aren't they yep there you go yep. quad lock now i have zero affiliation with it but I'm getting rid of the peacock oh, but, turquoise. But the, point, the point you're trying to make, and I and I, I love you for doing this, dude, is is let's show these non-endemic brands that we are a loyal bunch and we yeah. will spend the money to support them. And and it's critical, yeah. man. That's, that's, because that's on BTL, I get messages from endemic companies that are like, hey, your listeners are incredibly loyal. Like, listen, I, we got like, People that said they're literally ordering it because of BTO, which then also puts a responsibility on me not to not to talk about crap. Right. 
just for but, the just for the dollars. So people know before anybody starts to think in a cynical fashion, you know, and you're when you support, we're going to use quad lock as an example. You're not, it's not about you buying one of those and making Matt Lee rich. Okay. That's no. not, that's not what's going on here. What we're talking about is let's buy it and show this brand who thankfully has sponsored Matt Lee, a wonderful guy. Let's show them that not only have they chosen a great guy to sponsor, but there's a place for their product their business in our business. Right. Yep. And that's, and then, and then their involvement in the sport hopefully grows from there. They're not only sponsoring Matt Lee, but maybe they start title sponsoring a tournament or three. That's how it works. But that your question is a great one, man. We have to prove to companies, whether it's an existing brand like Toyota, that's very much a part of our sport or a brand new company to our sport, like Quadlock, let them know your brand is appreciated in our sport and being used, being purchased in and around our sport but that's how you bring more money into the sport these you sit around and we talk listen you've got the bpt you've got the npfl you've got the Bassmaster elite series you have invitationals opens toyota series all sorts of things and, and you hear these guys talk about hey there's only a one pie right yeah. and there it has to get cut up in all these different ways well the only way to, to, to make more pies is to add in ingredients is to have more ingredients coming in and when you show the value like that, now you're making either a bigger pie or now you can make two pies. Yeah, I, I tell I get asked it a lot, obviously, um, based on what I do for a living. You know, what would you suggest about you know, how, do, how do I go get sponsors? The age old, age old question. And one of the things that I think a lot of upcoming anglers completely overlook because for fishermen, we think fishing brands, boat brands, I need yep. a boat deal, yep. I need a motor deal, I need a lure deal. And I tell a lot of them, man, look people in your own hometown or your own home county you know you've got successful businesses whether it's a sports bar or whatever it is uh you know i think way too often tournament anglers at all levels all ages completely forget about the business right down the street that may have nothing to do with catching a fish but would love to have additional exposure uh at a, a good at a good value I agree. But and then here's how it works. You get that business down the street. You're showing that value. There's a guy who goes into that business who really likes their wings at lunch. He happens to own uh, a company that does very well, but he goes in there every Monday through Friday. He sees about it. Then you meet that guy. Then he, then that owner of the restaurant's going, yeah, we're sponsoring this angler. Really good dude. Always on top of things. Brings a lot of business into the store. Really. I'm looking to diversify my sponsorship portfolio. Maybe now you meet that guy. Now you're into another business. He meets it. And now all of a sudden yeah. things start happening. Yeah. And none of them make fish and lures or rods and reel for a living. No. Yeah. That's good stuff. Okay. I don't know when I'm going to have you back on. And I want to hear this story because I've never heard it. Do you have time for the real diamond eye Terminator spinner baits, because I this is this is legendary in the state of Oklahoma. No one knows this story, and I would love to close out the show with this story. We're screwed. After that talk, this is probably not, but we're scrapping the last commercial break to go straight into this story. If you you're have a, time for it, you're a weirdo, dude. But I love you. Do um, you? Can you get into this? Because this is this is wild. These are this is a story. About spinner baits with but real it kinda, diamonds. It kind of has a tragic. It kind of has a tragic ending. You want it? You, got, you want it right now? 
I want it right now. Good. Okay. So I worked at Terminator Fishing Lures for 10 years. And the 10th anniversary, guys, is the diamond anniversary. You know, you got your silver anniversaries. You go, well, the 10th anniversary is the diamond anniversary. So I came up with this idea that we would do this sort of a sweepstakes promotion deal in which we would put a diamond, a tiny diamond, where the eye of the spinnerbait is or was. Here's here's the crazy part. So Chip Porsche, my co-worker, your longtime close close friend from college. The only reason I'm in this industry is because of Chip Porsche. Just 30-second story. High school, going to college, knew about college fishing, wanted to be a pro angler. Facebook was college only. I had that I liked fishing on my Facebook. He messaged, said, hey, I'm going to OU. Do you want to start a fishing team? I said, sure. I was here playing hockey at OU. Joined the fishing team. Mark Jeffries sent an email to the fishing team needing a uh, intern. I answered that. Met Jeffries. Last is his, rest is history. Still talk to Chip all the time to this day. Still works with you. Yep. Still in the industry. Fish the Elite Series for one year. Continue. All right. So Chip Porsche's dad... You know, I'm, I'm in Tulsa. Paul. Paul Porsche was a jeweler, a small town jeweler. And I knew that. And so I went and worked. He was an avid angler who used to buy a ton of Terminators himself for he and Chip. But that's how I met Chip was because Chip and his dad were always buying hoodies from us, and tons <laughs> of spinner baits. That's, I met Chip when he was like 12 years old. Now he's my coworker and he's like 33 years old. But anyhow... I go to Chip's dad, the jeweler. I said, Terminator's having its 10th anniversary. I want to do a consumer sweepstakes. And I want you to drop diamonds into the eyes of a few spinnerbaits. I don't remember. How, it might have been 10. I don't remember. 10 is what I've always heard. Yeah. And, and then the deal was we were going to package them and just turn them loose. <laughs> and if you were fortunate enough, you would... you. Face down on the package, face down, one eye, face down on the package. You know, like like an old box of Cracker Jacks, you get it home, open up your Terminator spinner, but oh, dear God, there's a highly valuable diamond in there. Well, the tragic end of the story, Panger, was that... How much were they worth? I don't remember, dude. That's been 25, that's been that's been 17 okay. some years ago. Tragic ending. The tragic ending of the story was before we could ever launch it to retail before we could ever proceed with the project terminator was bought out by rapala normark right at the cusp of that thing like a month sooner and it's 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 right. happens right right you got the sign off you had paul porsche ready to to oh, set dude. the diamonds in the eyes of the, sp yeah. the terminator spinnerbaits i literally carried spinnerbaits down to his jewelry shop in bixby oklahoma and said okay size this up here's what we're working with yeah oh yeah Dude, that would have been the greatest promotion the in the Diamond history of Anniversary Series. That's what it was going to be called. Because you know, two or three of the guys would have just been throwing it. They would yeah, never we, have noticed it. Right? Yeah. Well, I, I remember, and you're, you're jogging my memory. We even had, we designed the packaging. We had a, we were, we were ready, man. And before all that could launch, we, we were basically, there were, there were talks and we got bought out by Rappel and Normark. Is that the idea that you're most proud of over your career when it comes to marketing? Like, is that your best? No. I. What's your best marketing strategy? You brought it up today. I, that's why I said you're a weirdo. You remember stuff like that. But um. Well, of course. That's. What, I mean, we still talk about that stuff. Dude, I, don't know. I don't I don't think there's one. That Terminator run was, was especially fun and memorable and something near and dear to my heart just because mm -hmm. we were 
basically a small brand with a very small staff of people and took it from birth to, you know, I think we sold over 10 million premium priced products. Holy cow. 10 million. Yeah. Now that's, that's spinner baits. That's jigs. Yeah. That's buzz yeah. baits. That's everything that we ever did. But yeah, I mean, taking something from, from an unknown, nobody knew what a Terminator spinner bait was when we launched it in 1997 uh, to, to basically worldwide distribution. Mm -hmm. I mean, we were selling baits in Spain. We were selling baits in South Africa. We were in 2,500 Walmart stores. I mean, you know, that's, that's really special to take something from birth to successful, successful branding, distribution, whatever you want to call it. It was, we, we made it, we made it a household name in the fishing business. And I remember way. that kind of platinum, like industrial Terminator, like the logo yeah. on it. Like it yeah. just, it, yeah. that's just an iconic logo. Yep. Did you guys come up with that or did they already have that? Uh, that was developed. I'm not, I think at the time, I, I don't even remember fully Panger uh, that they had mm -hmm. when I came on board that, that branding that you're referring to, um, the riveted steel yeah. it was already, it was already in existence, but it, okay. when I, when I agreed to work for the company, no one, we hadn't launched it. Was like I agreed to work for them a month before they launched it. We launched it to the world. So That's I awesome. was like sworn to secrecy that this was even happening when I, when I interviewed to, to come on board with them. Yeah. And then that, that if what I also remember about them is they kind of reinvented the high end jig. Like as far as the packaging with like the brush guard and the finish, I just remember Terminator jigs were always top so, notch. Well, the yeah, thank you, man. So the 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 jig we're getting way in the weeds here, but that's what the, the show does, Guck. The the jig side of, of, of the fishing business is a difficult one because it, it's such a simple product, right? It's a it's lead and a hook and a brush guard and a skirt, basically. Yeah. And but they cost a lot. It, the, the manufacturing cost is not cheap on them, right? But we've established this unfortunate, cheap. unfortunate perception that jigs should be cheap, right? So you have a real problem as a manufacturer because you've dumped a lot of money into building a premium jig that you just paid a great compliment to. But the problem is the consumer never wants to pay you. He'll give six, eight, nine dollars for a spinner bait or a buzz mm -hmm. bait, right? But he or she is not going to give you that for for a jig. So the margins, the money that you make on jigs is not good. Little little industry in, inside of there. Unless you're Randy Blockett and you come out with a ten dollar flipping jig. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And All then right. you get into things like you start adding rattles and you add, you know, another yeah. whatever. So anyhow, premium skirts or hand tied skirts or a specific hey, cook, or you go with a tungsten head or don't give me a 30 minute dissertation on this, but I want to know quick. Give me two sentences. Are you a rattle guy on your jigs or are you not a rattle guy on your jigs? Situational 100%. Okay. Cause I've been known to put a rattle on everything I can put a rattle on. Brandon know, Lester, you... Brandon Lester and I have fun with this. He hates rattles. He, he tears rattles off of jigs. I'm like, Dude, yeah. So you're 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 an in between situation guy. Hundred percent in between guy. Okay. All right. All right. Where are you headed? Because I know, like I said, I know you said, "Hey, I made a pit stop, but I decided to stick around for the show instead of do it in the truck." So thankful that you did because this is a this is uh 
Well, we did day four with Ray. I think that's the best show of the year, Guck. You're lying. I'll say it. No, I'm going to say it right now. February 14th, right now. It's best show of the year. It's Valentine's Day, dude. I, I know your love life. Yeah, yeah. Single and ready to mingle right there, ladies. Um, I shouldn't have said that. I'm sorry. It's Valentine's Day, Panger. We haven't mentioned that. Yes, I have driven, I don't know, like 22 hours over the last couple of days. And I pit stopped last night near the Harris Chain of Lakes. And I've got a few hours left to drive today to get down to Okeechobee. But I did not want to try to do this at, in a convenience store parking lot along the way with a bad cell cell reception. So honored, grateful that you asked mm -hmm. me to be on. And, um, and, dude, I hope it was a great show, one of the best. I hope. I think you're lying. No, I'm dead serious. And like I've always said, there's a whole lot of things you don't want to do in the parking lot of a convenience store. And a podcast would be one of them. <laughs> we got stories, don't we? <laughs> Anyhow, I'll be at Okeechobee, everybody. I'll be at Okeechobee, and then I'm going back to back with the elites. Um, so I'll be then up to Lake Seminole, Georgia, next week. So a lot of days on the road. Not the ideal way to spend Valentine's Day, but um, all good there. And uh, Panger, we'll wrap it up if you say we're ready to wrap it up. Yeah, absolutely. Where can people see your work? Where can they? Uh, where can they digest the content that you're putting out? Well, we'll be publishing stories this week, short stories on Bassmaster, um, obviously Bass 365, Bass Fan. Um, I don't want to leave anybody out. Anglerschannel.com out of Huntsville, Alabama. Um, a variety, your favorite bass fishing websites. Um, okay. And uh, we just, I just try to give people a little look behind the, the curtain at what's going on in the tournaments, uh, some lifestyle stuff, nuts and bolts when we have to. And, uh, Working with uh, all the various pros this week, obviously, will be closely tied to Gerald Swindle and Matt Airy, Brandon Lester, Mike Iconelli. Those those four guys will be much my focus this week at Okeechobee because they're all Toyota guys. So, fantastic job, Guck. Greatly, I, I enjoyed the heck out of it. They're this basically had a conversation like I would have, like if we were like stuck with nowhere to go. That's the exact same stuff I would ask. It's good stuff, man. I I've, I'll probably go back and listen to this show. Thank you, dude. Thank you. I'm I'm honored. I really am. All right. Get back on the road. Greatly appreciate it. All right. Let's do it again. Will do. All right. That was Alan McGuckin and uh, a wealth of information. I mean, dude, we started with fisheries biology stuff and what type of wood bass prefer and how far they travel after they're caught in a tournament and ended with how to keep non-endemics in the sport and show the value that that covers the gamut all right we do need to take a break when we come back we'll talk about what we have for the rest of the week we'll uh we'll look at what's going on in the bpt we'll talk a little bit about what's going to happen on the elite series it's btl on a tuesday february 14th we'll be back right after this are you looking to install your own fishing electronics the solution is the bass tank power harness it takes the guesswork out of installation. No more voltage issues or interference. Designed by an engineer so that you can get professional results right there in your own garage. Installation done right with the help of the Bass Tank Power Harness. You can feel confident knowing that your installation was done right. The Bass Tank Power Harness. Give us a call or order yours today at thebasstank.com. Get the best patterns backed by tournament data. Start by finding the best 10% of your lake. Know exactly what to look for and what to throw. After that, you just put them in the boat. Try the Deep Dive app today. Look at that beast right there. The great thing about the new Sensation Soft Plastics from Big Bite Baits, heavily scented, 
super soft, buoyant, comes in seven great new shapes. I've got a couple of them of my signature series, the cliffhanger worm and the ram tail craw. Great for a flipping jig, football jig, swim jig, all that. Several other great shapes. Really excited about it. We've worked over the last year. Catches fish all over the country and I think it's going to catch fish for people everywhere you try it. The Spro Little John crankbait has been around for almost 15 years and it is one of my go-to crankbaits whenever I need a fish in the boat so you can never have enough new colors. That's why Spro is coming out with a handful of new colors including Pearl Shad which has this bleached out white look but it's got this pearlescent really really pretty. We've got Copper Shad which looks amazing in the water. It's got that purple flake on the back, really, really pops in the water. And then if you want some real pop, we've got Sparkle Shad, nothing but sparkles all over this thing. And then last but not least, we've got the Matte Sexy Shad, just a really different looking color for a crankbait. So you wanna give them a little different look, that Matte Sexy Shad is definitely the one to go with. All these colors are available in the original Little John and the MD. Shoreline Boat and RV. Dock rash, storm damage, collision repair. That deep scratch or gouge from trying to access that secret creek. Shoreline Boat and RV can get your prize possession back in mint condition and looking good on the water, fast. All repairs are done in-house, so they're able to get your boat or RV back to brand new, quickly. All Shoreline's work comes with a rock-solid warranty. Find out more at ShorelineBoatAndRV.com. Kansas City, Austin, and Tulsa. I'm the kind of guy that never leaves a house without a pocket knife, and Gamagatsu's come out with the EDC series of knives. EDC stands for everyday carry, so whether you're on the water or off, you can always have it with you. The best thing about it to me is that assisted open feature. With this D2 blade, you've got it right here at your fingertips. So if you can't find your scissors, you need to cut a knot, you need to cut your braid, you've always got it. Make sure you check it out. Never leave home without your Gamagatsu EDC knife. Born in Japan, using technology, innovation, and precision, Sunline produces the widest selection of fishing lines at the most technologically advanced line factory in the world. Manufactured at the strictest tolerances to produce victories at the highest levels of tournament bass fishing. From household names like Christie, Swindle, and Cruz, to young guns like Cook, Logan, New, and Welcher, they all trust Sunline to take them to the top of the leaderboard. Choose the line that will give you the strength to guarantee your confidence. Sunline. All right, wrapping things up. <clears throat> on a Tuesday, big shout out to Alan McGuckin for taking some extra time to jump on BTL. I've known Guck, like I said, since I got into this thing in 2006, 2007. Uh, and uh, a lot of similarities between us, but definitely knows his stuff. And that was some uh, little bit behind the scenes gems that he talked about today. Uh, tomorrow, a show that I, I'm very excited and looking forward to, something that I've talked about on the show for a year that's todd klein uh the former professional surfer is going to jump on btl tomorrow talk about his win on uh his his toyota series win a couple weeks ago on lake havasu uh five pound test small bait uh and then i said he liked it i like to compare other sports to to bass fishing and and the more i kind of look into it obviously I, I don't know anything about the professional surfing but you just look at the format and the way it is and kind of some conversations that i've had with todd and i think that that 
that and bowling might be the two closest, maybe surfing even more so than bowling, but uh, BPT on the uh, Kissimmee Chain of Lakes, first event of 2022 going on. They're on the second day now. It is back to the five fish limit. And I will say it is a, a lot easier when you look at the standings just to see, well, currently, big shocker, Jacob Wheeler leading as of now. Um, 15, 12 on, on, but as of day one, but man, you can just see they got one through five. It's a lot easier. You can see what the big bass is. You can see how impactful the big bass is to their overall standings. You can see what guys need and how to make it back up. I think it's just a lot easier to digest that content. Um, especially because it's six days and you still have cuts and you still have some zeros and not, and there's, I just think for the average bass fisherman and just me looking at it like right now glancing at it i can tell that the bite is tough you know right now they're in the period number two and the cut's only at two for 415 uh i i know that i mean they're they're having it i can just understand it better i guess that's the only way i can say it but frank will be back on thursday then uh and then heck we only have one more week getting the boat wrapped on the 22nd i'm pretty excited on it uh have not done a a significant btl presence on the bass cat in the last four or five years uh and actually ran the same rap kind of the two years but since i've took over the show i'm like you know what i want btl on it still best on tour.net title sponsor uh but yeah it's got some btl on it and i'm pumped to show everyone about it so that will be done next week uh and then i'll let everybody know about next week's shows but big shout out to alan mcguckin you can follow all of his stuff on uh on bassmaster.com and like he said all of the other websites and he also covers the mlf and the bpt so this has been another edition of btl bass talk live tomorrow todd klein we'll talk to everybody then